This is your Tuesday Daily Delivery. I am Michael Rand. It is Tuesday morning, nickelback time. Go for football, Vikings football, bunch of good segments coming your way, starting with Andrew Kramer's film review, looking at why the Vikings can't get the ball to Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen. My least favorite team is my favorite team. Yeah, they were your least favorite team again on Sunday. And Randy Johnson recaps the Gophers' disappointing loss to Illinois. They still control their own destiny, as we all do, uh, going into the last three Big Ten games, but their margin for error much less now after that disappointing loss. Let's get right into things, shall we? It is Vikings film review time here on Daily Delivery. Andrew Kramer joins me every Tuesday. Does a great job breaking it down on StarTribune.com and in print as well. To find that Tuesday on the website and uh, for your viewing pleasure. Andrew, how you doing? I'm doing well, Mike. Doing well. No, no, uh, no late game uh, scares for for the the film review. I should say it's we save those for the Vikings. <laughs> yes, yes, and uh, I think we're going to focus on the offense this week. I mean, there's there's plenty to get to in a game where. You know, the time of possession is tilted that much, where the first downs are tilted that much. But, you know, it did feel like, to a degree, the defense did just get worn down in that game. And part of that was because, you know, between the first two touchdowns of the game the Vikings scored and then the desperation one they scored at the end of regulation, they didn't do very much at all. And so one of the things you looked at as you kind of went back at this game was to find out, Okay, Adam Thielen and Stefan. I did it again. Adam <laughs> Thielen and uh, Justin Jefferson um, did uh, did not uh, did not have a have have much to do. I mean, Jefferson caught the deep ball on the first on the first drive. Thielen has two catches for six yards combined. What they have five catches, and what did you say? Where, where does that rank on their uh, on their productive productivity in the in the big picture of the Vikings? Yeah, those guys have played a year and a half together now, and those five grabs are the fewest they've had in any game. It, it tied for the fewest, I should say, tied with a win, a blowout win against Detroit last year in which they just didn't need to throw them the ball. This is a situation where they needed the plays. You're in overtime, it's third and nine, um, and you have a bad protection call, a bad poor adjustment up front. Um, watching back that game, I did think they actually missed Garrett Bradbury a little bit because they did have a lot of botched protections, but uh, when they did have the right call, the, the offensive line sometimes messed up, and we see that all too often. Um, only Udo this time had a really bad game. This is after last week when I talked about Ezra Cleveland having an awful game. Um, so that popped up on the right side. And then um, Kirk, it just gets into those modes where he's just not going to force the ball to these guys. And, and that's I think that's a product of the head coach. I think it's a product of how they want this offense to be run, and Kirk is going to run it. Um, the way they want it. And, and I think Kirk likes to play that way as well. So that frustrates Adam Thielen and Justin Jefferson. And I asked Adam today, cause we got to talk to him just about like, why were you guys not in sync? Just Adam specifically with Kirk. And um, he had said, there's so many factors that lead into it. Adam said, you've got to get open. The quarterback has to read. You have to have the right coverage for you to get the ball. You've got to have enough time for the play called. And then Adam said, I think we ran into every single one of those factors in Baltimore and, and watching the game. I think that was absolutely the case because there were times where Adam was open. Kirk didn't get him the ball. There were times where Kirk could have forced it there. Um, and then there were times where the, the pass was uh, forced off because of pressure or the play call was just head scratching. Like it's just everybody continues to contribute to them losing. Um, it seems like in one way or another. 
That's going to be that's going to be a challenge for a team because if it, if it was one thing, if you were like, okay, it's just this, you could you know either fix that with a personnel change or with a philosophical change, things like that. But if it's if four or five different things are capable of sabotaging your you know intermediate to deep passing game in any specific game, that's got to get frustrating. That's that's hard to fix a problem with so many layers like that. Yeah, and winning is the thing that covers it all up, right? So when when you win in Carolina the way they did and the offense looked the way it did, you could overlook some of the issues they had specifically early in that game. I think they came out of halftime in Carolina with back-to-back three and outs. Like It looked like it was going to be the same issues, but they win. And the fact is they're just not have, they're not fixing enough of these problems in those critical moments, those situational moments, the third downs, the red zones. Um, you know, uh, right after takeaways, they last four takeaways going back through the Cowboys game. They've scored three points and, and you get that Anthony Barr interception and you turn it into, into nothing. You get the Bynum interception, you turn it into three points uh, in Baltimore. You just can't have uh, be wasting away those kind of opportunities when the margin is so razor thin. So I think winning covers up so much. And if they just did a little bit more of that, they wouldn't seem so bad. It, the problems wouldn't seem so everywhere because we wouldn't focus on them with such a microscopic lens. But when they continually show the inability to fix enough of them, they're just a bad team. I, I just think they're a talented but bad team because collectively they have not played well together, um, whether you know you go back to Arizona on special teams and you go back to the offense in the last couple of games. Now, it, it does feel like if, if one thing can – I'm going to say if one thing can fix everything, but if there's one kind of overarching thing that might be able to – solve a few of these problems it does feel like it comes with it rests on clint kubiak shoulders it rests on hit how does he scheme these guys open better how does he buy kirk cousins more time how does he get these guys synced up would you agree with that that if if, if there's going to be a, a marked improvement it it, it not, i'm not saying it's all his fault but i'm saying it would probably come from that direction not from the offensive line magically getting better or kirk cousins becoming a different kind of quarterback all of a sudden yeah, because they do need to get Kirk back comfortable. And, and this is one of those things where you've always had to manage this with Kirk Cousins. You know what you signed up for by now. This is his fourth year here. So with Clint, it's a matter of getting the running game going, getting those um, easy completions early in games. And the thing is, they've done that, which is the puzzling thing that why they keep stepping on their own foots. A penalty, penalty for, penalties, for instance, have been horrendous for them. They're one of the most penalized teams on offense in the league. They lead the league in offensive holding. That popped up again on Sunday in Baltimore. Um, these things keep putting them behind the sticks. And then as we've talked about with Kirk, this is not an offense that is structured to uh, make explosive plays when the defense is expecting it. They, like the, the offensive line is not built for it. And Kirk is not really built to take and force those kind of shots downfield. And so when you talk about fixing things and kind of moving forward, I think Clint needs to find a way to keep the energy going, keep Kirk comfortable and then find a way to get easier completions for Adam and Justin. It, easy completions are not easy to come by in the NFL, obviously, but you've got to scheme some of these things up. And they're trying with receiver screens. They're trying with some of the underneath stuff. But at this point, like on Sunday in Baltimore, you've got a defense that just puts like 10 guys by the line of scrimmage. And then once you get them in a second and 10, then they'll back up and then you're just dead in the water. And it's, it's been kind of that same story. I think Dallas did something pretty similar. Yes, they did. Well, we'll see if they're able to figure everything, figure anything out. They've got, you know, the Chargers up next. And after that, Green Bay and Green Bay, you know, say what you want about what happened against Kansas City, only scoring seven points without Aaron Rodgers. But their defense has been a lot better lately, too. 
Matt will not be a uh, will not be a picnic. You got the Rams later on this year. I mean, it's it's not figuring this out is not just going to happen by uh, by way of uh, by way of competition. No, and the problem is too that the defense actually played. I thought pretty well. I and mean, you and I talked about before we started recording that the the first half they held Lamar Jackson down pretty well. It just they wore him down. You got ninety plays on defense. That just that never happens. That's a career high in playing time for um, Everson Griffin, who's been in the league since two thousand ten. Um, and with Mike Zimmer's side of the ball, like you're not getting Daniel Hunter back. It's going to be another game for Patrick Peterson. Harrison Smith will also be out. Justin Herbert is the most accurate quarterback you've faced since Russell Wilson. It's been a while. They've gone through a stretch of pretty inaccurate quarterbacks. Lamar Jackson is great, but he's not accurate. And that's why they were able to take advantage of some of those things. And when you fail to capitalize, when the defense makes the plays you got to make, especially in those critical moments, um, yeah, it's, it's the 2021 theme. It's just wasted opportunities uh, for this side. And, and I don't think it's going to get easier because, like I said, defensively, there aren't any re- real reinforcements coming down the road. No, they really needed to win that one, and they had an opportunity. And if the offense could have done a little bit more, they might have, uh, might have done that. Andrew Kramer, good stuff. Follow him and uh, follow that film review. Check it out on starttobe.com on Tuesday. Thanks, Andrew. We'll see you later. Hey, thanks, Mike. Interesting stuff from Andrew Kramer. His film review is live on the website right now, by the way. And one thing I think is interesting about Adam Thielen in particular, average yards per catch this season, only 10.6. He does have seven touchdowns, so he's you know getting into the end zone. But 10.6 yards per catch would be a career low by a fairly wide margin. Last year, averaged 12.5 yards per catch. Two years ago, 13.9 yards per catch. So, you know, when you think about him, they're, they're us- utilizing him in much different ways, probably a little bit more, you know, shallow routes and things like that. Not the deep threat that he once was, not necessarily because he's lost a step, but probably because they can't get him the ball down the field. Take a playcation to Mystic Lake. With 24-7 gaming, the good times never have to end. And you can satisfy your cravings at our restaurants and bars. Or relax in one of our luxurious hotel rooms. Those that play together, stay together. And don't forget to join Club M so you can spark new memories and bask in the rewards along the way. Follow the lights to Mystic Lake, where every day is play day. It's my least favorite team, is my favorite team. The Vikings, Keith Rashad. Keith, I don't know if you've seen that game we saw on Sunday before, but I sure have just, again, the offense starts off well, gets them a lead. The defense can't hold it. The offense rallies when they need it the most, and then they still lose. Have you seen that game before? Cause I've seen that game before. I feel like about eight times over the last two months, I've seen that game about eight times. They've only played eight very, games. They've only played very, eight games. I know it's strange. Isn't that it's strange? Like varying degrees of, of how it ends up, but it is basically the same thing. And I don't know about you. I don't know, about, but I found myself befuddled at the end of this game. I, I really want to be able to focus my rage, uh, but I don't exactly know where or how to focus the rage for this game because it was full of all of the things that happen when the Vikings win a game but it was also full of all of the things that happen when they lose a game too. Right. And so it was hard for me to try to pinpoint say who is most at fault for this loss in the sense that you could talk about the defense in previous games or kicking or failures and other aspects. 
I'm not, I mean, there, there was everything. There was everything in, in both their victories and their losses in this stupid game. Yeah, I mean, there I mean, it wasn't the special team's fault. They ran a kickback for a touchdown. They executed a fake punt. They made all their kicks. Definitely don't focus your rage on the special teams in this game. But like we've talked about so many times, this team has so many holes that they will have a problem in various, inevitably something will go wrong in a game and it's whether they can overcome what goes wrong. And in a game like this, where you're down Daniil Hunter, you're down Michael Pierce, you're down Patrick Peterson. And oh, by the way, not long before, you know, Sunday comes along, you find out you're without Harrison Smith, which I don't know how much hurt them because Cameron Bynum, who stepped in for Harrison Smith, actually had a really nice interception and played a pretty good game. But still, you're missing a lot of your core defensive pieces. Baltimore had, I, I talked about this on, on Monday's show with Royce. Baltimore had 36 first downs. The Vikings had 13. It was such a lopsided game aside from the scoreboard. Well, yeah, that's absolutely correct. But in some ways, it'll, it, I don't know why I feel this way. Maybe it's because, again, I watch the games in the 45-minute chunks. I watch the hurried-up version so I don't get all the in-between stuff. And then we talk about it for 15 minutes. So I can really only handle this team for one hour a week. That's, right? an, op- that's an optimal amount of time. Either that or zero would be the optimal amount of time for this team. I am trying to work my way down to that. I can't quite get there, but yeah, I can only give one hour, but in some ways it almost felt like the defense played well in a way that, that even when they gave up less points in other weeks, it felt like they didn't. And part of it was Lamar Jackson was not particularly accurate that day. uh, Or maybe it was just because most of it was running and you didn't see too many of the big passes or what have you. Uh, but it sort of felt like they played well. They had the two turnovers. They even had that moment with Anthony Barr's spectacular interception where it looked like it was possible that Zim would finally get his wish and have the defense be the heroes. And yet they still gave up, what, 34 points, right? Still gave yeah. up 4,000 yards of offense. Yes, they were almost, still, I think 500 or so. That's a lot. They, they were still actually not very good. And, and so even though it kind of felt like they played well and they were facing the, all the adversity that you mentioned and having all those players out, you would expect them not to be at their finest, but they still failed at the end as well too, right? They, they had all the characteristics of, of when this team loses. Yeah, and they just could, well, they couldn't stay on the field on offense in the second half, and that was a big part of the problem. I mean, the time of possession was two to one. Like Baltimore... And obviously it's an overtime game, so it gets skewed a little bit. Baltimore had the ball for 46 minutes and the Vikings had the ball for 23 minutes. So it's like, yeah, they put up 31 points. Part of that is, you know, the special teams run back and part of it's, you know, the two quick touchdowns. And then they, they do get that drive at the end to get themselves into overtime. But again, it's, it's the in-between that they, they, I don't know what happens on offense, but the in-between they're just, they're not good at all. Well, it's, Again, you get the good and bad, right? They they scored 24 points on offense, which is a nice output. But the whole second half was just three and out and three and out and three. And it was just ugly. And they they did what they do. They came back and they scored exactly like you said, that that late touchdown, but then couldn't finish off at the end. And so it's the same, it, it, the same thing, both the good and the bad. They put up points and then and they had their moments. But when it came right down to it, they couldn't succeed. And I'm starting to think, I'm starting to maybe possibly think that uh, uh, 17-year-old Clint Kubiak shouldn't be offensive coordinator 
it's maybe a bad situation where the head coach basically wants to be an overpaid defensive coordinator and, and cedes all the rest of the authority of the offensive coordinator to give this to somebody who's very unproven and hasn't seemed to gone up through the ranks. He reminds me of, of um, Ryan Saunders a little bit, right? And that everybody said, well, you know, someday he might be good at this, but it was just a little bit too early. How is this not Clint Kubiak? And how is this not the absolute worst situation when you have a head coach who has no interest in actually engaging with the offense until he finally has to have his hour meeting once a week with his quarterback? Well, and odd that they would trust this year to someone so unproven, even if they had some confidence in him, even if they thought that continuity for Kirk Cousins was probably the most important thing in the offense as opposed to maybe more experience in that chair. Because I think he has struggled outside of the scripted plays in finding the right rhythm for the offense. I just feel like there's times where the, the call just feels odd, where it's either predictable or it's like, why are you doing that there? Like you need this and you're doing that. And if we can see that at home from our couch, and again, we're, we're the experts, you know, we're, you know, it's easy to second guess, but it, it does feel that way in real time that, that, that the calls that they're making don't feel like they match the rhythm of the game. Well, you think the run on second down, second and long is. <laughs> I was just I'm screaming at the TV and my, my kids are like, they can't hear you. And I'm like, I, you know, I know, I know they can't hear me. I understand that they can't hear me, but I'm going to yell nonetheless because it's frustrating. It's, it's, it's frustrating to watch, you know, and then again, they, they're able to overcome some of this and sometimes it works, you know, occasionally it works. It works just enough to fool them into thinking it's going to work more than it does, but they they put themselves into these bad third and long situations. And then third and long, like Ben Gessling wrote about on, on the website Monday, it's just, it's, that's just a, it's just a death knell for them because they can't pass protect. And so also raises the question at what price do you expect your high paid quarterback to actually take ownership as well too? If he was making $13 million, we could maybe forgive the, the not taking over or not asserting yourself when you should be the, the person who does that, you're the actual one on the field, right? At $33 million, he should be doing that. Maybe at 13, we could maybe say not, or if he's on some rookie scale contract. So at what price, at what price do you expect that out of your quarterback? Cause you're not getting it right now. I mean, I think you should expect it at $33 million. The problem is that's never been Kirk Cousins. And so they bought a quarterback whose skill set they knew was, limited in a certain way. Like if they surrounded him with the right situation, which I think they thought they had after 2017, that they could thrive, but they've never given him, they've given him the right offensive skill position players. I mean, they've given him a great running back and they've always had two really good wide receivers and they've, their, their tight ends have been fine. You know, Irv Smith probably would have helped even more this year, but they've never been able to get the offensive line right. And if they don't get that right, Everything else is kind of moot with him because he's not the kind of guy, like we've talked about a thousand times, who's going to extend plays and is going to take ownership of a game if he doesn't have the time. And there's been times this year where he's had the time and he's been great. And the other times he's just not. And again, you'd like to think that that's that $33 million buys you that, but with Kirk Cousins, it doesn't. No, it certainly doesn't. And that's part of the yin and the yang with that guy as well, too, and that he can be very good. But one of the things that I noticed, and, and again, you know, with my knowledge, I haven't broken down the all 22 film just yet, but it seemed that at the beginning of the game, the offensive line was able to hold up a little bit. And as that game kept going, it just got worse and worse and worse and worse to the point where 
at a certain point, <laughs> you, you almost can't blame Kirk because he didn't have any time. There was somebody in his face immediately. And it, it's so difficult because it's both of those things. It's not just that Kirk can't make the plays that a Lamar Jackson can, right? But it's also that sometimes he is in that impossible situation too, because has not been very good. And Baltimore figured something out because it just felt like there was this erosion until it was almost all gone by the end of that game. It did seem, and I'll probably talk to Andrew Kramer about this. I probably did talk to Andrew Kramer about this a little bit, but it did seem like the pressure started coming up the middle, like Baltimore figured out that that's how you get to Kirk Cousins, started picking on Mason Cole a little bit, started picking on the, you know, the guards a little bit more, and that's, that's the key to breaking down the Vikings' pass protection typically. Let's finish up quick here. I mean, they've got to be getting frustrated now. They've, they've had so many close losses. If we're frustrated, if fans are frustrated, the team, the players have to be frustrated too. I mean, the next two games are no picnic. You got at the Chargers and then home against Green Bay and assuming uh, Aaron Rodgers is uh, uh, a, uh, able to play and available and the woke mob hasn't driven him out of town. Um, <laughs> I need to stop you there. I need to stop you there because I, I know that you've talked about it a lot, but I have not yet had the opportunity publicly to luxuriate in his stupidity and his utter ridiculous stupidity and putting himself in that situation and deciding to blame others for his bald face lie that he knew was just ultimately a lie and, and managed to get away with it for half of a season. And as a Vikings fan, you know this, as a Vikings fan, there's not a lot to hold on to in terms of championships and success and all that kind of stuff. So sometimes the best feeling is watching Green Bay go down in flames and just having this little bit of Aaron Rodgers stupidity and watching him try to blow up that franchise. And I didn't get to see any of the highlights, but clearly uh, the Packers did not look good in their loss. Uh, Probably could have used them. They scored seven points and it wasn't <laughs> that seven didn't come till late in the fourth quarter. And so, it, you know, Staring off into the future when Aaron Rodgers is finally chased away by the woke mob just kind of feels good, right? That there's maybe hope that at some point we will once again be able to live in a world where the Packers don't have a Hall of Fame quarterback uh, basically winning the division for them every year. Imagine how bad that division could be next year if they do run him out of town and the Vikings are in a rebuild and the Bears are still bad and the Lions are still the Lions. It, yeah, you're talking about a a 7-10 and 10 team winning it. I mean, it's going to be – it really is going to be atrocious. And uh, I'll be sitting there every Sunday with my iPad watching for 45 minutes, hoping that the Vikings <laughs> are the one to get to 7. Steer into that skid, baby. Well, we'll, we'll see. It just – it feels like the year is, you know, I don't know if it's completely off the rails yet. You can always – win a couple games and you know last year they were one and five and they got to six and six so you never want to say never but it's uh they can't feel good right now with the way things are going and and just knowing what's ahead of them it's going to be hard to see any kind of path that's that's getting them anywhere good this year well how is it going to get fixed how is it it's going not to get fixed? none of these problems are fixable right now and that's the problem and so last year, last year, I guess you could say in, in, there were some deficiencies and they were able to make some changes or what have you. It is impossible to see how any of this is going to get better. The offense is not going to get better. Zim's is not going to help out on the offense anymore. His defense is going to continue to be bad. It, 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 um, maybe we can get more kickoff returns for touchdowns. Maybe that was a bright spot. 
That was a bright spot. All right. We'll do this again next week. I'm sure it'll be great. Oh, yes. I'm looking forward to it. By the way, if it feels like the Vikings are playing a lot of overtime games this year, that's because they are three already. That's as many as they played in the last five regular seasons combined. So, yeah, definitely a lot of drama in these first eight games, including those three overtime games. Vikings have won just one of those, that one over Carolina. Tuesdays on Daily Delivery, I like to talk to Randy Johnson, covers the Gopher football team for the Star Tribune. Randy, we've been saying for a few weeks now that the Gophers were going to need to know how to pass the ball at some point this season. I don't think we thought that was going to have to be against Illinois because, you know, the the pedigree of that team, you thought this was going to be another win where they could, you know, go in there and run the ball and probably win the game. That said, they get down 14 nothing and they the offense can't muster you know, more than six points in that whole game. Is this an example of they just can't, they can't do that one thing. They can't pass, which is pretty important. Um, And that, you know, the thing that we didn't think they could do or wondered if they could do uh, is still a problem. Uh, Yeah, that's part of it too. I think a lot of it has to do with the offensive line play, which the offensive line did not have a great day. And that ended up with um, putting a lot of pressure on, on, on the passing game and on, on Tanner Morgan, he was sacked six times. You know, when they had to throw, uh, the defensive line pinned its ears back. They did some blitzing, and uh, that that caused a lot of problems. It, the the recipe to beat this team is to get get ahead of them and make them play from behind and see if they can. It, it's you know they have such a, a usually such a good running game. If you can shut that down, you uh, really make them play left handed in coach speak. Make you know take away their strength and make them try to do something they're not used to doing. How you know it gets it's 14 nothing pretty quick. Um, you know, how, how did we even how did we even get there? Do they just do you feel like there was a you know, I think there's a, a cliche that teams start to look ahead to other teams. I think this team's been pretty good at not doing that, but Iowa looming next week, and we'll get to that in a little bit. You know, Big Ten, they were the Big Ten West leaders going into that game. Any any element do you think there of either looking ahead of this one or the pressure catching up to them and, and all of a sudden they're down 14, nothing. I know. I think it was probably more of a, of a situation where maybe, maybe stunned a little bit early. Uh, Tanner Morgan gets a, the, a pass tipped in Illinois, gets an interception and then they drive it 49 yards right away to, to go up seven, nothing that kind of a stunner against the, uh, the Gophers defense. I mean, it, it was a bit of a short field, but the, they had their chances. Uh, they had that trouble all day with uh, chase Brown, the running back, uh, um, goes for what 145 was it? Uh, so yeah, they they had uh, 150. They, they had they had their issues stopping him. He 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 would always uh, keep the pile moving forward. Um, and they settled down after the second quarter. The defense did, but uh, by then uh, you know the offense just wasn't able to to respond the way it needed to. Now I I think I've asked you this you know after the Bowling Green loss, but you know this seems like they're pretty steadfast in sticking with. Tanner Morgan, you know, their experienced quarterback. Is there anything they can do to help him in these situations? If they, if that is going to be their guy, someone who's now not terribly mobile. Uh, and when the offensive line does break down, like it did on, on Saturday has, has his own issues trying to avoid the rush. Yeah, I, I would, I would think they would uh, maybe go to some more shorter passes, uh, get those. There are a lot of slow developing routes on Saturday. Uh, maybe they need to rein those in a bit, get, uh, get something more quick hitting, uh, get, get Tanner in a rhythm. I mean, you don't want to take that completely away because that's, 
that's where they've they've gained a lot of uh, important yards uh, using their kind of uh, you know uh, passing attack that just you know picks its spots. But uh, they got in a game where they couldn't use the passing attack as a complementary weapon. It had to be the primary. They can't beat Bielema either. Isn't Bielema eight and zero against them now? Eight and zero against Minnesota. Um, that was that was the first time he had uh, faced uh, PJ Fleck, but eight and zero against Minnesota. So it's uh, got some type of hex there, I guess. Yeah, he does. Well, um, obviously, big big games ahead still. I mean, even with that setback, and we've seen this team be resilient. Obviously, after the Bowling Green loss, they came right back and played much better rattling off a bunch of wins in a row. So they have, you know, opportunities still in front of them at Iowa next week. Iowa's had its own struggles. Didn't beat Northwestern by that much this past yeah. week. It has lost, you know, two since their really good start. Uh, feels like on paper, like this won't be a, a, a shooting match, won't be a, a high scoring affair, but you never know. How do you, how do you kind of start to sort this one out with, you know, both of those teams, part of that four team log jam at four and two in the big 10 West now? Uh, well, first and foremost at Iowa, you know, it should be, a, it could be kind of a rock fight there. It'll be, a, should be a low scoring game um, where the Gophers could get in trouble and every, and the and Iowa this year is feasting on turnovers. <clears throat> they, they were um, uh, plus 14 and in, in their seven wins uh, and uh, minus three in their two losses. So um, they basically, um, you, you got to make sure you don't give them the ball. That, that, that's been their fuel this year. Um, they don't have the most dynamic of offenses, but they can run the ball pretty well, and they're, they're very good on defense. They're very stingy against the run. Um, you know, they, they have veteran uh, defensive linemen. It's going to be a challenge for that Gophers offensive line. That, you know, they've carried the mail most of the year. They're, and here, here comes the time of year where they really need them. Did you get the sense after Saturday's loss what, you know, I know we don't get as much of a sense of the mood as maybe we used to, but what, what was the, what were your take? What have been your takeaways in the aftermath of that loss as they kind of, you know, think about regrouping for Iowa? Well, you know, they, they always go back to their one game at a time, one, you know, one game championship season, as, as they call it each week. They, and I think, you know, that, uh, that approach is something that can serve them well when, when you're, yeah, when you do lose, you know, okay, you just, you know, worry about the next game, worry about the next thing up, up uh, on the schedule. Um, you know, don't dwell on that one too much. Um, you know, take the lessons from it. Um, but yeah, it, it's, I don't think they should have any trouble getting up for this game. You know, they, they're, uh, on four against Iowa on, under flack. So, you know, it's one that, uh, you know, they should, uh, be pretty fired up to try to try to win this. It's, it's, you know, they haven't won at Kinnick since 1999. So it's, uh, it's a long time coming. I didn't realize it was that long ago. That's, uh, that's crazy. I'm trying to think of who was even on that 1999 team that's uh that's that's a that's a ways back that's the uh that's the team that uh the glenn mason team that beat uh, penn state when they were number two in the country ended up going to the to the um uh, sun bowl and, and played oregon that was the first uh first gophers bowl game since 86 so it, um billy copper was the quarterback uh thomas hamner running back tyrone carter on that team tyrone carter there you go well that was uh it was a while ago then. No, uh, no doubt about it. Well, uh, last, last thought. I mean, they still, they still control their own destiny, right? If you think about yes. the, you know, the winning the last three games would assure them of, you know, would, would assure them of winning the big 10 West because they'd yes, have yes, tiebreakers. Yeah, they'd have any tiebreaker they, they, over anybody else. And they, you yeah, know, things like that. They, 
they, here's, here's the deal there. It's, it's uh, both them and Wisconsin control their own destiny. And Wisconsin has uh, wins over Purdue and Iowa. That um, They're playing the Gophers. Uh, the Gophers have a win over Purdue. They play Iowa and Wisconsin. Iowa lost per, to uh, Purdue and, and Wisconsin, so they're in the toughest shape, even though um, they have the best overall record. Um, so the, the Gophers' path is, is, is pretty clear. It, you, you win all three, you go to Indy. Um, there is a way for them to get there if they would lose to Indiana and beat Iowa and Wisconsin. Now, not a not an easy uh, that not an easy uh, trick to, to pull off. But um, if they would uh, go two and one, finish six and three, got into a tiebreaker situation, had those two other wins, they would uh, win on head to head with all three. Um, if whoever came into that tiebreaker situation, so it. Uh, one thing about that, they have not beaten both um, Iowa and Wisconsin in, this, in the same season since 1990. Um, I remember that while I was working for the Minnesota Daily at the time covering Gophers. Jeez, I, I feel like all of these accomplishments go back way too far. This program needs some more uh, some more mile markers that are a little more recent. Well, it's it's still in front of them, like you said. It's you know, and and if if you can say a couple things about this team, you know, in this program, one is that they've already shown they're resilient this year. And two PJ flex teams have tended to be, to get better as years go on. So we'll, uh, we'll see. It could have just been an anomaly kind of like Bowling green or, uh, or it could be something more that, uh, that we should be concerned about. Yeah. It is interesting that the, the times they were, they were the biggest favorites, 31 points against Bowling green, 14 and a half against Purdue. Uh, or they, they lost on both of those. It's- against Illinois. I mean, you said Purdue. No, I'm talking about Illinois. Yeah, sorry there. No, that's okay. Well, good stuff, Randy. Um, I'm sure we'll look forward to your coverage from Iowa. I believe Chip Scoggins will be there as well, so uh, we'll have double coverage down there. Uh, you guys can each uh, you guys can each cover one of the points in the game. Uh, you never know. We'll see how, how it goes here. <laughs> All right, thanks, Randy. Talk to you later. Thanks a lot, Mike. Good stuff from Randy Johnson. Now, raw yardage isn't everything, but. Gophers rank 122nd out of 130 FBS teams in passing yards per game, 154.6. By the way, Wisconsin just barely ahead of them, 155.6. Iowa is at 185.3. So, yeah, those final three games, uh, the, the two big ones in particular against Wisconsin and Iowa, should be one on the line of scrimmage with running games, not the passing game. That'll do it for today. Might have to dig into the Wolves a little bit on Wednesday. Show another disappointing loss on Monday. They had that one against Memphis and then gave it away. Some weird body language. The post game wasn't great. Have to break that down at some point as well. Thanks for listening today. We'll be back at it on Wednesday.